I'm Dave Rubin. We are at the local studio here in Miami, yes. and I am with the mayor yes. of Miami, Francis Suarez, who loves Miami. Fair to say, you love Miami. Nobody loves Miami. Everyone loves Miami, but like you love, love Miami. There's no separation between me and Miami, right? Yeah. Like, first of all, just coming here and seeing this incredible studio in the heart of Wynwood in Miami, which is one of the most dynamic, fun, exciting neighborhoods. It's totally on brand for you, yeah. right? And, uh, <laughs> you know, it, it, it's just exciting to see you here. And uh, we so, we totally embrace what you're doing, you know, in terms of the content, the conversations that you're provoking. And uh, it's very much in line with who we are as a city. So it's just, it's just fun and exciting to be here. So I asked my guys right before we started, I sat down with you in Miami Beach in June of 2021. That's right. So it's Almost about a year. A little less than a year and yeah. a half ago. I was not a Floridian. I was not really thinking about Florida. There was a, there was a little bit of it. Flicker. Kind of, there was a yeah, flicker. There, there was a little yeah. something. Uh, but a lot has changed for, yeah. for me and this company. And, and you're basically in charge of the city that everyone is coming to right now. How, how do you feel about that? Because I know it's good, but it, it also comes with some, some stuff that's tough, sure. right? So look, first of all, as the first mayor of Miami that was born in Miami, right, in the 125-year history of Miami, this is a dream come true. I feel like every day I'm living a dream. In so far as I was born here, I grew up here, went to college here, uh, law your, school. Your dad was mayor here. My dad was a mayor from when I was eight years old to when I was 16. So I saw this sort of evolution of the city very up close. Uh, and, and to be in a situation where we have set up a city to be successful, when a lot of urban cities in America are not successful or failing, and we did it because we followed three simple rules. We keep taxes low, we keep people safe, and we lean into innovation. So, you know, we have uh, created a city that's number one in tech job growth, right? Number one in wage growth. Uh, we have a city that, because we've kept taxes low, has grown 12%, which is the second most in recorded history. And with all that additional revenue, even though you lower taxes, you actually have more revenue, right? You know, spoiler alert for New York and California, <laughs> yeah. right? Uh, we have actually done the opposite of what other cities have done, which have defunded their police. We've increased funding for police, more officers than ever. Another shocking correlation. Our crime is about to be, God willing, you know, I knock on wood because we're, right we're, yeah. we're not in December yet. Uh, but we are on the precipice of having the lowest per capita homicide rate in history. Yeah. So it's exciting time to be here in Miami. Um, so much has changed in the last year and a half. And it's everywhere in Miami, not just right yeah. here, because although I don't want to say the specific part of town yeah. that I live in, you know, and in the in the area that I live in, there hasn't been a home break in, in 14 years. I mean, the, the flourishing is every day I wake up and there's a new Los Angelino coming to my town. Now I'm starting to worry, but. And I've been in an elected office for 13 years, so maybe there's a correlation yeah. between the 14 <laughs> and the 13. But look, I, I think, uh, you're right. Uh, people, Miami was the best kept secret, number one. Number two, Miami has always punched above its weight, right? When you think about what is Miami, I mean, you could arguably have someone who lives in Palm Beach, who is in Paris, and they ask them, where are you from? They say, Miami, yeah, right? Yeah. Just sort of this, this, this big thing, right? This, I always say Miami is an idea, it's more than a city. Uh, and it's a, an idea born out of a trauma. What's the trauma? The trauma is many people in Miami were kicked out of their country of mm -hmm. birth, were exiled. Uh, because a leader in their country said, give me all your businesses, give me all your property, don't worry, we'll make everything equal. And you know what they did? 
they made everything equal, yeah. equally miserable for everybody, right? <laughs> yeah. And so we are traumatized by that. And I think that's why Miamians are so fundamentally pro-America. We're so fundamentally pro, um, you know, sort of fair market and free market. Uh, and we believe in freedom and liberty, right? Those are principles that for us, we, we, we fought for, right? We, we, we've, we've been, my, my grandfather was in jail in Cuba. My, his brother died in a Cuban jail. You know, it's very, very real for us. So on the tax side, you, you wrote a piece in Wall Street Journal about a month or a month and a half ago talking about free markets and capitalism yep. and why this place is, th is thriving. So how does it make any sense? I thought you the government just needs more of our money to make things work, but you're keeping taxes low and so, and we don't have you know roads exploding and, and all sorts of stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's it's so counterintuitive. How, right? how is it possible? How so, is it possible? So let's let's let me give you a real example, right? Yeah. If you are living in New York City right now, cost of living differential between New York and Miami is two to one. So in New York, the median home price is a million dollars. In Miami, median home price is 540, two to one, right? In addition to that. In New York, you're paying fifth. If you're in the highest tax bracket, a lot of New Yorkers are because, yeah. again, your cost of living. Well, they're all coming down here now. Well, but check it out. Let's do the math, right? Yeah. You're paying 54 cents out of every dollar in taxes. That means that for every dollar you earn, you take home 46 cents. In Miami, you get 63 cents, mm -hmm. right? It is a huge delta, right? And so that, when you at scale, obviously is incredibly uh, uh, motivating to people. You know, I've seen statistics that 70% of the taxes in New York are paid by 8,000 people. And if that becomes 7,500 and 7,000 and 6,500, you get what's called a vicious cycle, right? Mm -hmm. You get massive holes in your budget when those people leave. And there's only one way to get more revenue for them, which is to increase taxes, which creates more migration, yep. more holes, and I call it the death spiral. So what's happening now in the United States is very similar to what happened to Detroit at the Industrial Revolution, right? Which is that you're seeing this change from industrial to digital, and Miami is the only city in America that got the memo and has basically uh, built its entire economy to capitalize on what I call a tsunami of opportunity. And cities like New York and, and, and San Francisco and, and Silicon Valley thought they were too big to fail. And I'll tell you, Dave, they're not. Um, the world is more disruptive than other companies that are massive get disrupted out of existence like that. Yep. And um, we are building for the future and it's exciting to see. Do you get any pushback from other mayors who are going, uh, hey, Francis, uh, you know, if you keep taxes low, it's going to make us look like a bunch of idiots because we got the grift going here and it's kind of working until, until it doesn't work. Obviously. You know, I'll tell you this. I'm president of the U.S. Conference of Mayors. So I'm president of all yeah. the mayors in the country. Um, and, and, and what I get more of, and I got to be careful how I say this, is I get more of the camera's not on. Listen, we really think what you're doing is great, yeah, yeah, yeah. but we, we don't have the ability to do it. It's That's more the sentiment that I get, right? Which so is, why, why would a mayor not have the ability? Because of the, the local? I, I, I think there's a variety of reasons. I think they get a lot of pressure from the press, right? Yeah. Which has this their own agenda, right? Which is a grow government. Government is a solver of every problem agenda. I think they've got to deal with uh, institutions. Like for example, when I first got elected in 2009, I was the only candidate elected without union support because I wouldn't lie to the unions and tell them, look, we're going to raise your pay when we're in a recession, right? Yeah. You know, and when, the, when, the, when we have to cut 20% of our budget in one year, which is another thing that's another lie, right? Which is that government can't balance its budget. Listen, I had to cut 20% from my budget in one year, $150 million at a $600 million budget. If I can cut 20% in one year, we can balance our budget at the federal level. And, and the city didn't fall apart. And the city, no, on the contrary, it started thriving, right? So we balanced our budget. We were at 13 million in reserves at the time, 2009 in November. Now we're at 150 million in reserves, the most reserves we've ever had. We have the highest bond rating under my uh, administration ever in the, in the history of the city, which is double A plus, one away from the highest, which is triple A. So we're incredibly fiscally sound. Uh, and it's all by just, 
you know, sort of following the same formula that you would if, if you're a homeowner, right? Like your own personal, save a little bit of money, pay off your credit cards, you know, pay your debt, yeah. uh, don't overspend, right? And then spend strategically on the things that are gonna make you more successful, invest in yourself, invest in, you know, policing, keeping people safe, that kind of thing. What kind of pushback do you get from the Democrats here when you're doing some of these things? So you're lowering taxes, yeah. you're putting police on the street. I yeah. mean, one thing for sure that I notice here is that when I go to New York, and I see cops all over the place, to me it's a sign that something is not right. right. When I go here and I yeah. see cops, whether it's in South Beach or down where I am, it's like, oh, they're they're patrolling and just making sure everything's okay. It's it's a huge difference yeah. in mentality. And, and I think the other difference in mentality is we support them. Right, I think, I think in, in other cities, they don't feel supported. Yeah. What, what you gotta understand is right now in, in America, being a police officer is the hardest job in America. It's harder than being a roofer, okay? You've got, there, there isn't a job in America where you get paid less money, with more scrutiny and more risk, mm -hmm. right? And more at stake and being asked to do more things because now they're being asked to be social workers. I mean, it's really, really hard to be a police officer in America. And I think fundamentally, number one, they need to be protected. They need to be sort of supported, right? Number two, uh, they need to be well paid, right? Like, like anybody in, in life, right? Like you, you've got to support them financially because they've got to take care of their kids. They want their kids to go to school just like you do. Um, and so we've been, we've been blessed. And then you have to have a lot of police officers because it creates a deterrent effect. We've given them a ton of technology uh, to be, uh, to help them leverage their, you know, their sort of force multiplier. And all of that has been incredibly successful in maintaining our homicide rate. Where it is. What are some of the stresses of having all these people move here? I mean, house prices yeah. for sure. You mentioned they're lower yeah. than New York, but it's it's tough to get a place here. And one of the things I'm always worried about, and I, I see emails from this, is that people that are the OG Floridians sure. who have done it right and lived yeah. here for a long time, they're suddenly feeling, oh, we could get priced out because all of these rich people from LA and New yeah. York, Look, et cetera, it, it, are it, it, it's a, We are a victim of our success, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, what happens is, first of all, you have historic inflation. So here's a problem with government saying, we're gonna solve the, the inflation crisis by giving everybody money, right? So you are, you're in a level where we're at historic inflation. If you look at urban America right now, not just Miami, Urban America, rents are up 25% or more in every urban city, big city in America. Miami's more like 35, 45%. Why? Because you layer on top of that a hyper demand where all people are just fleeing, getting the heck out of places where they think they're not wanted or where they think they're getting taxed to death um, or where they think the economy's moving away from. So you I, have- I know the feeling. You have all these things happening, right? <laughs> yeah. And so there, that is definitely putting pressure on Miami, no doubt about it. I, I, I would be uh, lying if I didn't say that were the case. But what makes us different and why will we thrive in the in the face of that stress? A couple of things. One is New York is completely built out. Um, I think they built the last building in Park Avenue in the last 50 years just got built, right? Uh, San Francisco is artificially constrained, right, with their zoning code. Miami has the ability to grow 10x. We're in a neighborhood right now, Wynwood, which has explosive growth. You see it when you walk you out of here. You can feel right? it here. You can it's feel it's it. Ready to happen, we have yeah. the ability to grow. The delta between what's built and what can be built is a 10 to 1 multiple. So we can supply uh, ourselves at a level where, um, you know, where we can keep prices relatively low. We have, just to give you some numbers, about 185,000 dwelling units in the city proper. In the pipeline right now, to be built in the next 24 to 36 months, we have 47,000 dwelling units. So that's a 25% increase in our entire building stock. So that's number one. Number two, we do affordable housing in a way that is sort of private sector oriented. We do the carrot approach, not the stick. Mm -hmm. We don't tell developers, this is what you have to do. We tell developers, look, we wanna be a part of your capital stack. We will do, you know, we'll give you a dollar for every $15 that you invest in the project, or every $20 you invest in the project. And the only caveat for our dollar is you gotta 
maintain rents at a certain level mm -hmm. for a certain period of time. That's it. It's a carrot. Mm -hmm. You want the carrot? This is what you got to do to get it. If you don't want it, it's okay. We're so not they can force build, So they can build either way. Absolutely. A hundred percent. They can do market or if yeah. they want to do something uh, different, mm -hmm. they can do affordable housing. And we have built and we will build probably between four and a half and six billion dollars of affordable housing over the next five to 10 years here in Miami in addition to the supply. Can you also talk about the, the homeless situation? Because there yeah. basically isn't a homeless yeah. situation, yeah. at least compared to other major cities. So Florida, it's pretty nice. Seems like people would want to come down <laughs> yeah. here, right? So Don't give them any ideas. Yeah, no, no. I mean, what have, what have you sure done? I'm sure a lot of them watch your podcast. Yeah. 20% <laughs> of my audience is homeless. It's weird. So yeah. look, I, I, we're blessed. We have systematically invested and we did it in a way that was really smart, right? So we have something called the Homeless Trust and it is a tax, right? We don't like to pay taxes, but this is a tourist tax. <laughs> so this is for people who are coming to Miami, staying in hotels, they pay 1% mm -hmm. uh, on their bill, right? And it funds a homeless trust. So basically our visitors, not, not our residents are paying this tax, our visitors are basically paying a tax uh, that goes to help the, what I call the least, the last, and the lost, the most um, marginalized in our community. And so, you know, what have we done? We built a decentralized set of centers that give them alcohol uh, treatment, drug treatment, mental health treatment, and vocational training. Right. In addition to that, we're spending over the next two years about $7 million in a plan that I call Functional Zero. So we have 640 homeless right now. 640, according to our last census. That's, That's it. it. That's it. That's it. Wow. But I want to be at zero because I don't think any city in America has really, big city has really challenged themselves to get to zero. And I think that if we create a model, then it can be certainly um, exported, right, to the rest of the country that are dealing with tens of thousands of homeless in their cities. Yeah. And again, this is one of those things where I just see these other mayors. It's like, why don't you just look at Miami and fix things? Yeah. I, I went to Denver. Yeah. I did not, you know, Denver is not San Francisco. Yeah. Denver is not And I LA. love the mayor of Denver. He's yeah, but I was like, but, yeah. but what's going on here? Look, I, I think I had a mayor, and I won't say who it was, from a big city, one of the one of the top 20 cities in America, tell me recently, we just waited too long. You know, we didn't do what you guys did. We, we used to have 9,000 homeless. We brought it from 9,000 to 1,000, right? Uh, and 1,000 is in the county, which is 2.8 million people. Uh, only about 600 of that 1,000 is in the actual city proper, which is my jurisdiction. So, um, so we did it through this decentralized network. A lot of these cities just didn't do it. And then, of course, we're seeing a lot of mismanagement, a lot of, I mean, I've heard some crazy statistics uh, in California where people are paying like four or $500,000 a homeless oh, or something yeah. like that. Yeah. And it's just money that's, there's no controls. It's rife with, you know, a variety of problems. And so that obviously is not going to work. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the, the hurricane situation, because obviously sure. it, it ended up, Hurricane Ian ended up hitting Southwest yeah, Florida. Yeah. We're obviously in Southeast Florida, yeah, but yeah, at yeah. first it was going to hit here. Yep, yep. Obviously hurricanes do hit Miami. Yeah. Um, you've been you've been tweeting about it and doing yep. doing all sorts of stuff. Um, wh what do we need to know for the, for the Miami and the future of Miami and who's going to come down here or to Florida in general when it comes to these storms and all so, this stuff? So to be honest, and I'm, you know, again, pr as president of the U.S. Conference of Mayors, I was, uh, I led a delegation, uh, to, to the Gulf Coast to see all the cities that were impacted in the Gulf Coast. And it was devastating. And I, uh, there's two things that I think everybody needs to know. Uh, thing number one is for every dollar that we as a community, as a country spend on the front end in resiliency uh, investment, we save seven to $8 on the back end. So mm -hmm. I, I was just uh, uh, at a podcast today, at an interview where they were saying that Senator Rubio's um, advocating for $33 billion of spending for hurricane relief. 
So my, my point is, if we would have spent $5 billion on the front end, we could have potentially saved 25 to $30 billion on the back end. You're right? talking about building new structures. I'm talking about things like buildings. That I'm talking about things like, 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 like urban reservoirs, pumps, pumps uh, increased seawalls, uh, you know, backflow preventers. These are all the things that we're doing in Miami right now. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, in Miami, we post Hurricane Andrew, which was in 1992, which was a 200 mile an hour wind event. We basically made Miami the most wind resilient city on the planet. Like we're a bunker, yeah. right? The problem now is water and water volume. What we've seen in the last two years are two events that frankly are super frightening. Um, Ian and Dorian, I don't know if you remember Dorian from a couple years ago. Dorian was a category five that sat on top of the Bahamas never touched uh, continental U.S. Uh, that I'm aware of, maybe maybe up north, but certainly didn't touch Florida. And it produced 25 foot of storm surge. Mm-hmm. So Ian has produced 10 plus foot of storm surge. You're talking about 25. So Mother Nature has just shown us two massively destructive events that all, no city in the world is prepared for. Mm-hmm. You know, period, full stop. Yeah. We've got to start being creative. We've got to start, you know, one of the great things about this country is its innovative spirit. Right, it's 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 a, it's a ability to solve problems, complex problems. Right, you know, we get thrown challenges, uh, we we solve them. We we're the first country to invent, you know, a nuclear bomb, you know, during World War II. Right, which obviously, um, as you know, heinous as it was, we used it and it ended the war. It could have saved. Who knows what what would have happened if we did, we didn't have that technology? We have always been a country that finds a way to to solve big problems, and this is a big problem. And I I, I think. Um, you know, we're gonna have to really dedicate, you know, a ton of resources to try to solve it because the scale of these problems are much bigger than what we've seen before. How does that work related to the city level versus the state level? Yeah. I mean, you know how proud I am to be a Floridian, but yeah. watching Governor DeSantis just yeah. go from every community every yeah. freaking day and you could see the media, yeah. was, the media was doing what they do with you. Like when sure. we had when we had one day of water and brickle, there was one picture yeah, of, yeah, of some it makes kids, it look like it's kids getting out of a club and they, because they, they want to use it 100%. against you guys. Uh, but can you talk a little bit about how the, the cities have to operate with this stuff versus the versus the state how yeah, you guys so I'll give you together. a sense of the differences in our budget. So we got about a billion and a half dollar budget. The state has a hundred and ten billion dollar budget. So it's about a hundred to one, right? Approximately. So you know definitely the state we need the state. We also need the federal government. Under President Trump, he had proposed a $1.5 trillion uh, infrastructure bill. What ultimately ended up getting passed uh, was a $1.2 trillion uh, uh, infrastructure bill. That money, I haven't, it's, it's, it's like a, a joke. I haven't seen any of that money yet. So. <laughs> have, you, have you called anybody? Oh, yeah. We've called a bunch of people like, hey, when is this thing going to flow, right? Yeah. So I think, but I think, look, infrastructure is a legitimate expense for the federal government if it's spent properly and if it doesn't you know, produce massive deficits, which unfortunately it has, right? But I, I think at the end of the day, you know, we need a piece of that money so that we can spend money on the front end to, again, avoid having to spend more money on the back end. How confident are you that Florida is going to stay in good shape like it is? Obviously, we've got elections coming in a couple of weeks. You mentioned Senator Rubio, obviously yeah. Governor DeSantis. I mean, it really feels like things are functional here yeah. and working. Yeah. I mean, to watch those bridges get rebuilt, the Pine Island Bridge and then yeah, the Santa Causeway in two weeks. I mean, it's it's incredible stuff. But how confident are you that it's going to keep kind of moving in this direction? So I'm going to I'll give you the good news and the, you know, the, the worrisome news. Right. Yeah. So the good news is that Trump won Florida by 100,000 votes in 16 and 400,000 votes in 20. So the trend is favorable. In addition to that, Republicans for the first time, I think in history or maybe in like 40 years, outnumbered Democrats, right? So I think it's about 250,000 votes as of the last, uh, last time I looked at it. 
So that's the good news, right? So all that indicates strength for Republicans. Republicans should win at all level. 2018, which was the last election like this, was very close. The governor, I think, won by 35,000 votes. Uh, Senator Scott won by like 14,000 votes. And in that same election, a Democrat won statewide, right? So um, that just, which goes to show just the variability of Florida. Um, The worrisome news is that in Florida, there, and people don't talk about this, I don't know why they don't talk about it, but they should. There's 20 to 25% of the entire electorate is MPA. It's a huge number, Wait, right? No MPA. party affiliation. Oh, no, okay, okay. Right, so they're not Republicans or Democrats. Yeah. So when you're talking about, you know, 4 million people that are NPA, if 50% of them vote, that's 2 million votes. Mm-hmm. So you could win Republicans by 250,000 votes, but the MPA's got to drop, dry, uh, they've got to break your way, yeah. right? And so that's, if somehow something bad happens, I guarantee you that would be why it would happen. Yeah. So, it, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see. I think, I think. What, what do you do to get those people? I mean, I guess you just look, keep, I, keep I, making I, it work. Yeah, you keep making it work. Um, I think a lot of those people, even, even in, even in a county like Dade County, which is a predominantly Democrat county, right? Uh, I'll give you an example of something that the former president did, right? He lost Dade County in 16 by 30 votes, 30%, I'm sorry, right? And he only lost it in 20 by 8%. Hmm. So when you talk about that increase from 100,000 to 400,000, it almost comes exactly exactly back to Dade County because that's a 22% delta on a million 200,000 voters, right? So what did he do? Um, he was strong on Venezuela, right? He, he was bold mm-hmm. and he uh, recognized Guaido and got a coalition of countries to recognize Juan Guaido uh, to try to disrupt the Maduro regime. Uh, what did he do on Cuba? He rolled back all the Obama giveaways, right, during Obama's presidency. He wanted, he wanted a le- legacy victory, kind of like Nixon's China opening, right, with Cuba and, and, and putting an embassy there. And we got nothing in return, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, Trump undid that. So 75% of new arrival Cubans voted for Donald Trump. Yeah, it's really fascinating. I mean, that that they, these people know it and they get it. Of course. And there are other issues that are near and dear to their heart. So when someone speaks to those issues, people are loyal about it. So we're going to, in a little bit, we're going to bring in Asaf, who's the CEO of Locals. But I just want to talk to you broadly on the tech side before we talk about what we're sure. doing. So you brought in all these tech, com- well, you brought them in. I mean, basically, you sent out a tweet. You said, yeah, how yeah. can I help? Yeah. Next thing you know, all these tech people show up. We've talked about this a little bit once or twice before. But, you know, there's always the fear from the original Floridians. Yeah. Oh, they're yeah. going to bring all the bad sure. ideas. Sure. What do you think? Well, I'll say two things. One is... Uh, it was a counter narrative, right? What was happening in American cities? New York pushed out Amazon after HQ2. Yep. And people don't realize it's not just that you're pushing out 50,000 high paying jobs, right? It's the signaling effect. What are you telling your own residents that you're taxing to death? Things aren't going to get better. We don't want you here. Get out of here because we don't value people who achieve the American dream. California, F Elon Musk. Elon says, message received, I'm out of (laughs) here. Same thing, you're not only losing the world's richest person, frankly, you're losing something much worse than that. You're losing the jobs from those companies. You're, again, signaling effect. We don't want you here if you're successful, which to me is an anti-American sentiment. When somebody says, hey, what if we move Silicon Valley to Miami? And I respond, how can I help? What am I saying? I love this country. I'm saying, I want you to be successful. I'm saying, I want my residents to be successful. And I think what happens is the media feeds our residents one thing and one thing only. Government is here to help you on the expense side. Mm-hmm. We're here to give you housing. We're here to give you, you know, uh, transportation. And and I unlocked something that I thought was counterintuitive. And by the way, didn't you know the press sometimes give me a hard time about it? Which yeah. is, I want to help you fish. 
not just give you a fish. I want to yeah. teach you how to fish. I want you to be empowered. I want, I want all my residents to get the best paying jobs to be able to provide for their family so that they don't need an affordable house, affordable housing uh, uh, apartment, that they can buy whatever apartment they want, that their kids can go to good schools. You know, I want my people to be successful. And I think, I, I don't know why that's controversial uh, at times. Yeah. You know, I, I, get, I get criticized because it's like, oh, but you, but, but, but you don't care about, no, I do, I care. I, I've spent 12 years of my life building affordable housing and, and, and mass transit, uh, free you know, trolley systems in our city. Now I want people to be successful. And I spend a lot of my time and energy on that. You know, in terms of some people who, um, who find that, um, find it harder for them, um, you know, it, it, my heart goes out to them because obviously you want everybody to be successful and you, you want people to embrace the competitive uh, scenario that we're in. Um, but it reminds me a little bit of, I don't know if you ever saw the movie Primary Colors. Yeah, I saw it 20, 20 years ago Anyways, or something. I know it's the Hillary. The, 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 yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Hillary, there, there's yeah. a scene where the Clinton character, was John Travolta, yeah. actually says, you know, I'm going to do something very outrageous. I'm going to tell you the truth, by the way. I don't know how, yeah. how many times that's, that's <laughs> But anyways, uh, and what fiction, he says fiction. is he's, he's telling a union organization that he, he that the jobs that left that factory are never coming back. But that he, what he said was that he's going to teach them to exercise a different set of muscles, the one between their ears, right? And I think as our economy becomes more digital, Unfortunately, the economy that we're going to be living in is going to be more experiential, content-based, and it's going to be more technological. So we're going to have to uh, get better, uh, and in getting better, we're going to we're going to thrive. God how, willing. How at odds do you feel like you are with the current administration? Well, I think we're at odds on a, on, on a lot of issues. Look, we're at odds on government spending, right? They've they've created this inflation. Now in California, they're giving thousand dollars in anti-inflation, which is going to create more inflation. So they've it's created strange. They always raise the taxes and then they give you your money back and you're supposed to thank <laughs> right. them for it. Exactly. And by the way, it just creates inflation, right? <laughs> right. Right. So you've got more inflation. So you've got a, uh, you know, dysfunctional foreign policy, you know, disastrous retreat in Afghanistan, conventional war in Ukraine, which obviously this administration wasn't able to avoid. Um, you know, you've got um, uh, this oil situation in, 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 in the entire world, right? Where you have uh, oil prices that are dependent on, on foreign, uh, you know, producers, uh, the dependency of Europe on Russia. You've got South America going socialist more and more and the U.S. having no coherent policy on that. Um, you know, we, we have systematically ignored Cuba's role as the head of the snake mm -hmm. in exporting its only commodity, which is communism, mm -hmm. <laughs> and doing it very effectively because they were trained by the Russians in the 1970s. And, and, and you know, there's supply chain issues. I mean, th they have really not confronted successfully, in my opinion, any of the macro issues that are generational uh, in nature or that are gonna set up this country for success. Where are you at on the on the immigration stuff generally? Obviously, yeah. we had this big thing with the Martha's Vineyard, sure, and sure, sure, that whole thing. Um, I don't even really know actually how the city falls on when people just show up here and all that stuff. Yeah, look, I mean, we're a city of immigrants, right? Um, mostly legal immigrants, frankly, um, because you know Cubans had a favorable immigration policy called you know wet foot, dry foot, and, yeah. and what preceded it. So you were able to get uh, asylum essentially automatically. I, I just don't think we're having a very coherent conversation about it. You know, in bo on both sides, yeah. right? I think uh, when you look at a city like Miami, we have 1.4% unemployment. 
that's awesome yeah, until you want to start until you want to start a small business <laughs> and then you can't find employees yeah right so the beauty of us of America versus China for example is we both have declining birth rates and the difference is nobody wants to go to China <laughs> everybody wants to come here mm -hmm. so I think that's an opportunity if we have a conversation that benefits the US right as opposed to just a border conversation right and I think that's where I hope the future of this conversation goes because this is an unresolved issue that is not it, it reminds me of World War one trench warfare. Everybody's sort of in their side, just gonna poke up, bah, 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 they get <laughs> right. back in, and then you know, in a year they maybe move four inches, right? So there's just no coherent discussion on it. So what, so what do we do in Miami? Like, what's the policy? If, if somehow illegals get here, yeah. I, I'm not even sure where the Martha's Vineyard one started or how they ended up, yeah. roughly here. Yeah. But, what, but what is the city's policy on it? Well, we don't, we don't we're not ICE. Right. Yeah. So, so we don't have a formal role. Yeah. Um, so that's an ICE issue, right? The federal government uh, immigration's custom enforcement issue as to whether or not um, how they detain people and and what they do with them once they're detained. So we don't have a role in that. We don't we don't uh, get in their way either. You know, we sort of let them do their job. Yeah. Uh, and support them uh, if and when necessary. But, um, you know, again, part of what makes us special is our diversity, right? And, and our inclusion in terms of a variety of different people that come from a variety of different backgrounds. And it's what makes us who we are. So uh, I also think for the Republican Party, I think this is important, Hispanics are trending Republican, mm -hmm. right? And I think it, it, why, are, why is that happening in part? Because Democrats don't know how to speak to them. Right, they either call them Latinx. You're not which, Latinx. Come on, what which, are you doing which does not resonate when you go macro, yeah. right? When you and then when you go nuance, you call them a San Antonio taco, <laughs> right? So, so they, right. they don't get the macro branding, they don't get the nuance branding, and I think this is an awesome opportunity for Republicans to say, hey, we respect you, um, we know you want to be Americans, we know you're law abiding, we know that you believe in family, um, and and you want to, you know, you you believe in the family unit as a, as a means of trying to get people to be successful and education. These are all of the things that Republicans always talk about, right? So, um, you know, there's a great opportunity there to lean into that and not be worried that if, you know, something happens on the immigration front, it's going to be damaging to Republicans. It actually might be very beneficial. You mean you're telling me that uh, Latinos, just like everyone else, care about more than one issue? They do. Isn't that wild? And they care about our country. Very bizarre. Let Love me it. ask you one that I By saw. By the way, look what's happening on the southern yeah. Texas border in congressional races. No, it's Hispanic incredible Republican women. On that are going to hopefully sweep uh, three congressional races, including one that I think they hadn't held for 150 years or something. Myra Flores, Myra Flores that, and yeah. she's the one that uh, then the New York Times ran the article, uh, what was it, the, the Latino face of the new right or something, like, or the alt-right? There you go. Something insane. Uh, let me ask you one about uh, that I saw some of my guys yeah. uh, giving you some crap for, which is some of the gun buyback stuff yeah. and this thing. So I saw my more conservative side going, yeah. ah, yeah. he's coming for guns, he's a Democrat, yeah. something like that. So. <laughs> I allow you to clean it up however you see Well, first it. of all, I, I think... People that like you generally, yeah. that live in this city. No, and I, and, yeah. I think, and I think I'll tell you this. Um, let's see how I put this sort of a little bit delicately, right? Yeah. There's a lot of jockeying going on right now, and there's a lot of surrogates that are doing a lot of things to try to uh, build people up and tear people down, you know, kill them in the crib type of thing. There's mm -hmm. a lot of that happening with me as my uh, profile gets bigger, as I get um, talked about in more prominent circles. It's more like, hey, let's try to brand him as a certain thing, yeah. right? And there's a lot of that happening with me. Um, but, uh, you know, gun buyback is something that the city's been doing forever, right? And it's not about... Um, 
you know, being pro-gun or anti-gun. I'm, I'm fervently pro-Second Amendment. I'm a gun owner uh, and, and incredibly pro-police. Uh, I think really more, it's more for, you know, what happens oftentimes is like a widow, right, whose uh, husband passes and, and the husband was an avid gun collector and they have 20, 30 guns at home and they're afraid that if somebody breaks in, they're going to steal the guns and kill them or hurt somebody else. So they just don't feel safe with the guns at home and they prefer to sell it, these, you know, these oftentimes are, are elderly people who are living on fixed income, mm-hmm. right? And they get, you know, we have like, uh, uh, what do you call it? Uh, coupons that we give them or, 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 or you know, um, I forget what they're called, uh, uh, sort of a gift cards that we give them, right? Yeah. And so we'll give them gift cards to Publix or gift cards to Target or whatever. And they'd rather have, you know, $1,500 in gift cards to Target than 20 yeah. guns that they don't know what they're doing with, right, sure. in their own home. So that's, that's, the, that's the prototypical scenario. So it's not like we want to take guns off the street in that sense, or we want people not to, it's completely voluntary, right? right? So people want to do it, they do it. If they don't want to do it, they don't have to do it. Do we even have a gun problem? I mean, is there are there shootings here really? Like no. So so that that's the other thing is that, you know, in this in this conversation about gun violence, you know, people it, it's such a myopic conversation, right? We don't talk about the fact that uh, in Miami, for example, we have we were ranked the happiest city in America, the healthiest city in America with 1.4% unemployment and increasing funding for police departments. So it turns out if you have more police officers, happy people, healthy people and people that are working, guess what? They're not killing other people, <laughs> right? So that's the formula for success. The happiness may come and, from not being killed. And by the way, that has nothing to do with whether they own a gun or don't own a gun. That has to do with their frame of mind. Yeah. It has to do with where they, what they are in life. And I've often said, look, you know, if somebody wants to hurt somebody, there are unfortunately a multitude of ways that that can happen. And so we've got to look at the root cause of why people feel compelled to do X and what, where we're missing. And I think that that gets lost in the discussion a lot. Do you think the happy part is? I mean, and literally, it's not. You're not making it up. I mean, it was voted the happiest yeah, city in the United multiple States. Years, and you by can the way. see, you can see it yeah. here. I mean, people, and it's not just the weather. There, I think it obviously is connected to the spirit of freedom and all of those things. And taxes. Uh, when you don't have to pay so much in taxes, you're happier, right? Like you, you, you know. At the end of the day, we want to look. I have this concept called return on time. Right, we, we think about return on investment, right? ROI, right? And we think about, and and people don't realize that their most precious commodity is their time. Right? It's the only thing that we all have in common that is finite, right? We can't make more of it. I mean, we can yeah. be healthy and hopefully, you know, we have good genetics, you know, hopefully we live longer, but we're all basically, you know, uh, conf- conforming to a life that is a certain amount of time. And I think we uh, have got to build our city around that concept. And if you see the world, it's, it's going to that concept. It's experiential, right? Restaurants, uh, virtual reality, metaverse, it's content, podcasts, um, YouTube, et cetera. Uh, and then it's it's sports, it's you know uh, experiential in parks and things like that, and and that's how you build a city that I think uh, really respects people's most precious commodity. On that note, we're going to take a 10-second break. We're going to bring in Asaf awesome. because a year and a half ago, I said to you, I'm thinking about it, and you said basically, how can I help? And and, and it's happened. I love it. All right. Thanks for tuning in to The Rubin Report. Don't forget to review, share, and subscribe to this podcast. If you're looking for early and exclusive content, you can join me on Locals at rubinreport.locals.com.